Welcome back to episode 74 of Sporting Max. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link, connecting you and your business with the biggest stars in the world through events and experiences. Please welcome number 74, NBL star. He's played for the Hobart Devils and the Adelaide 36ers, Wayne McDaniel. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max. Today, we are joined by NBL legend and Hobart Devils, or Tassie Devils legend, Wayne McDaniel. Welcome to the podcast, Wayne. It's an absolute honor to have you on. How you going at the moment? Thank you, champ. Thank you, Maxie Max. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, now, Wayne, I'd like to start with sort of your childhood and what growing up I was like for you in America. Well, uh, youngest of about five brothers and a couple of sisters and didn't really start playing basketball until I was probably your age, probably what, 14, 15 in there and just kept growing and growing and, you know, got to six, three and a half, six, four and, you know, became a really good shooter Mm -hmm. and then made all city my second, my second year. And then my second year, my senior year in high school Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of went from there. So what was playing basketball like for you and what did it mean to you, um, as you mentioned, like a 14, 15-year-old? Well, it was a way for me to get out of uh, heartache, hardship. You know, mm-hmm. both all, a lot of my older brothers were, you know, involved in drugs and, and things and crime and, and petty mm-hmm. crime and things. And so basketball was definitely a, a vehicle out, mm-hmm. uh, a way out. And, you know, my mom always saw it as a, as a way to get an education and and things like that. So um, from the academic side of it, mom saw it as a, as a plus plus. And mm-hmm. from the peer side of it, from the competitive side of it, from the growing side of it, uh, you know, I saw it as a, as a, as a big adventure, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you getting into college um, at the Cal State College um, all sort of come about? Well, I went to, uh, so in my senior, in my last, just before my last year of high school, I was in a car accident. So I was hit by a car. Oh. I fractured my fibula and tibula compound fracture, sat out about three months, came back and played my senior year in San Francisco. And then I led the city in scoring. Wow. And so, yeah, then I had quite a few offers, you know, division one, division two schools. <laughs> and the best bet for me at that stage was to play junior college and get my game back played yeah. two years at San Francisco City Junior College very successful teams uh you know national prominence won our state mm-hmm. um you know fabulous powerhouse team mm-hmm. played two years there and then uh played they transferred to Cal State Bakersfield under coach Bobby Dye mm-hmm. and two years there was was fantastic you know it was a division two school but it had a nice profile great program Bobby Dye and his staff great coach Mm-hmm. Um, and we played in the Division Two tournament my senior year against Doc Rivers and Horace Grant and Larry Nance at Clemson. And then I came to Australia after that. I came to Australia. I came back from that experience, mm-hmm. played, played a, um, had a summer in the summer league down in Riverside where Magic Johnson was a featured star, Reggie Theus was a featured star. And then I went back to mm-hmm. San Francisco and then got a call from John Greenberg, uh, the rec director who said, look, there's a possibility that you could be placed in Australia as a player. Mm-hmm. And I took that opportunity and um, yeah. 
So why did you want to sort of come 30, down? 30, 37, 38 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> so why did you want to sort of come down to Australia, um, play with the Adelaide 36ers, I think it was at the time? Yep. So I had an offer to play in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And there was a buddy of mine who played in high school with me, Francois, who played in the Philippines. So that was kind of attractive. Mm -hmm. But then my mother's, my mother's girlfriend met and knew an Australian guy. Mm -hmm. And so she'd been to Melbourne a few times. Yeah. And so she said, look, Melbourne is a spot. Australia's, uh, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the, the, the place you want to be. Culturally, it's better fit. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people, lifestyle, everything was a better fit. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was an easy decision in the end and uh, an easy transition to go from America to live in Australia, to come out to Australia back in 83. And Adelaide was a, Adelaide had just formed. They just merged from the West mm -hmm. Adelaide Bearcats to the 36ers to become one team. Uh, Al Green, Leroy Loggins were in Adelaide at that time. Uh, I came to replace another import who was a, a fantastic scorer in Reg Biddings, who's passed mm -hmm. away, rest in peace. Um, yeah, and that was my first year in Adelaide. Had a great, you know, great first season. I think I averaged about 26, 27 a game. And that was my first season in Adelaide. Yeah. Um, like you mentioned before, playing with Leroy Loggins sort of at, at the Adelaide 36ers. Now, we've had a bit of debate um, about him on this podcast. Um, Derek Rucker, first of all, um, what an absolute superstar he's been in the NBL over the years. Awesome. He's, he's, um, he mentioned, he, and it's to his belief that he thinks um, Leroy Loggins is the greatest import um, in NBL history. Um, we've had a couple of little debates with um, other guests. I think we've had um, Liam Santa Maria. I think he yep. thought Bryce Cotton. Um, I think I've chatted with DMAC about it. I think he, yep. he he thinks Leroy Loggins is. So what do you think? Do you think Leroy Loggins is the greatest import to ever play um, in Australia? Well, I'm partial because Leroy played in my era. I played against him many, many times. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm a, I'm a person who looks forward and I see the evolution of the game. I see the evolution and the growth of basketball mm -hmm. um, in terms of both Australian players, natural, you know, born Australian players and American mm -hmm. sports um, on both sides. So I look at Bryce Cotton and I've seen what he's done over the last few years. And Corey Williams has a very valid point that I think for me, Right now, if I look at it as objectively as, as I can, knowing Leroy is a friend of mine, yeah, and you know, to to put that aside and say, look at it just as objectively as you can. Mm -hmm. To me, I go to, and they're both great players, and they both bring you know great skill sets. For me, Bryce is a more pure scorer, mm -hmm. right? He is a more dynamically pure scorer in terms of just his ability to get to a spot mm -hmm. to you know use his quickness use his first step etc cetera, etc cetera. bryce has been uh, bryce has benefited from playing in a system that has been so tight mm -hmm. and so structured and so precise and so geared toward him scoring and being the number one option mm -hmm. that he's benefited from that leroy kind of had that but he was also asked to do a lot more than mm -hmm. what i think bryce is asked to do bryce is asked to do the scoring 
gonna, he's going to draw attention and he's going to get guys open. Of course, he's unselfish, but mm. he, primarily he's a, he's a number one option as, in terms of scoring. Leroy, to me, if I look at Leroy at his peak, was a better all-around player, mm -hmm. right? Who also could put up phenomenal numbers. I mean, I think Andrew's first in 40-point games, Leroy's second, and I'm third. So Leroy mm -hmm. can drop for you know, could drop 40-point games in you know, <laughs> the drop of a hat. So and then there's the argument of oh, you know. The league is so different now, Mac. You know, mm -hmm. the Australian players now are so much better mm -hmm. than they were back when you played. And that's valid. That's true. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's I look at it like this. Uh, I look at it like this. There's things that you can control and there's things that you can't control. Mm -hmm. Leroy can't control who he was playing against. He can't, there's mm -hmm. nothing he can control. You know, all you can do is control the nature of your game, the development of your game how you improve over the years. And if I had to look at it objectively, I'd have to say that right now today, Leroy is still to me the greatest import that's ever played in Australian basketball. Now, having said that, I still have the door open that over time, Bryce could overtake him. But at mm -hmm. this moment right now, even though Bryce has achieved a phenomenal amount of success individually yeah. <laughs> in team, it's ridiculous, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, there's no question that if Bryce continues the same pace of play, the same level and quality of play over the over the next few years, mm -hmm. eventually he's going to pass Leroy. But right now, I still think Leroy is number one. Um, you mentioned before your first season uh, in the NBL. Can you guide me through um, that first season uh, in the NBL? Wow. Um, okay, so as I said, I came in and replaced Res Biddings. I think, yeah, so we had the other import was David Winslow, brother of Kellen Winslow, the NFL mm -hmm. legend and Hall of Famer um, back in the States. David was great. Um, uh, who else do we have on that team? Do we have Daryl Pierce? Uh, there's a whole bunch of other guys in Adelaide that we had on that team. Um, and, I can, and I can say that it was, a, it was a situation where I would have loved to have come back, mm -hmm. wasn't able to agree. Uh, you know, with the team and with the coach and stuff. So I kind of had to move on. You know, I, I made, I think I made, I think I was telling someone else on another podcast, I think I made like $5,000 as a gross income for the whole year. So I was selling, I was selling garden fertilizer door to door, door to door in Adelaide, my first year so supplement my income. Yeah. So I was selling wow. my blood and, blood and bone garden fertilizer, you know, packed with super packed with nitrates and yeah. going door to door, cold calling. Doo, 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 doo. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Wayne McDaniel from Green Agora Fertilizer. I'm in your area with our specials. Just wondering if you would be interested in some of the specials we have going on this week and giving them pamphlets. And, you know, the first month, maybe first three or four weeks was really, really slow. And mm -hmm. then it started to pick up. It started to, I started to get more confident and, you know, uh, my delivery of, of selling started to, to improve. And, I was able to kind of supplement my basketball income. So there was a kind of a discrepancy in terms of, you know, money in terms of, you know, wow, you're only making this much money to play basketball. Mm -hmm. Then you're playing local comp with no longer, you need to supplement your income and, you know, and basketball was nowhere near as a full professional entity mm -hmm. that it is now, you know, all the guys everywhere, you know, would, would have incomes to supplement mm -hmm. their basketball pay. So, uh, 
yeah, that was, that was, I loved Adelaide. Like I loved it. I loved mm -hmm. the beaches. I loved the people. I loved the quality of, um, you know, the, the size of the city. There's mm -hmm. not anything I didn't like about it. I loved the weather, even though it was a, a kind of dry heat mm -hmm. um, that I wasn't really used to coming from San Francisco by Bay, being in the Bay in the peninsula. Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot I didn't like about Adelaide, you know, as a city. So it was, it was kind of difficult to leave in, in many ways. So, um, but yeah, a, a great experience. You know, uh, my dad, um, who I was reconnecting with at that stage, I think it was what, so I was 22, 21, 22 in there, maybe 23 somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. Reconnecting with him, he came out to visit me. He loved it. Um, yeah, my first year in Adelaide was, was, I have fond, fond memories of that first year. You mentioned before um, how that decision was made to come down to Australia and play in the NBL. Um, but I think it was your mum's girlfriend's um, partner um, had sort of said, you know, Melbourne fits and she'd seen Melbourne. Um, then now you come from Adelaide and you come down to Melbourne, but sort of on the outer suburbs of Melbourne in, Ge in Geelong um, with the Super Cats. What was that like to play down here in Geelong? Loved it. Again, a small community. Uh, Cal Bruton welcomed me as I was, I was on the verge of naturalizing. And um, I loved Geelong. I loved the team. I loved the community. Again, I wasn't a full-time professional in terms of just earning basketball money. So I went to Melbourne to the Clark Fitting School, the Clark mm -hmm. School Fitting um, Company, and did a course there. And mm -hmm. then ended up getting the job at the Vogue shoe store in Geelong selling women's shoes, yep. which was an amazing experience. Uh, it was it was just an amazing experience, just, you know, to be able to have a job and then go from a job and go from, you know, go to training and just the responsibility and just the connection it, it kind of brought me with the city and with the community was fantastic. Um, that was great. You know, two great years there, great teams. You know, the closest I ever got to a championship was with Geelong when we made the semis yep. and, and, and Leroy, Leroy's team knocked us out uh, after mm -hmm. we were up by 18, I think it was at halftime and I uh, still have nightmares of that. <laughs> 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 it's like Leroy, leave us alone. I want to yeah. give me a championship. Yeah, so I think they went up, yeah, into playing Canberra uh, in that grand final. And yeah, that was the closest, that was the closest that I got to, a, to an NBO chip. Uh, but those two years in Geelong were fantastic. I would always, if I had a chance, get down to Bells Beach and Torquay and, mm -hmm. and, and those coastal cities and just, you know, do that. And it was just beautiful. Loved it. Um, now, what was it like to be at the same club as someone like Cal Burton? Phenomenal. I mean, I mean, he was just such an innovator in the way he thought about the game and the way he saw the game growing and developing apart mm -hmm. from being a fantastic player. You know, I didn't play with Cal at the peak of his physical peak as a player, mm -hmm. but he was still a great player at Geelong. He was player coach and he was still a phenomenal player, still very skillful and still very fit. Um, so that was, that was a pleasure. That was a blessing. And the lessons that I was able to learn from Cal and James and Danny uh, and Brad, Big Bad Dalton, were, you know, were lessons that I still have today, that I still use today in terms of just being professional off the court, especially mm -hmm. James in terms of, you know, his 
wanting to, to go into business and Cal in terms of just ideas and connecting with people. Um, you know, Cal being a great communicator, the yeah. ability to connect with people. A lot of people thought that, you know, him taking on the role as player coach was was a kind of a, a novelty and kind of a, mm -hmm. you know, kind of a, a joke in a way, but he made it work and, and, and made it successful and went on to do what he did, you know, at Perth and, and mm -hmm. with Bob Williams and that Wildcat organization and, and to win those championships, you know, uh, just, a, just a true role model, uh, beautiful heart, and just a love for the game that, you know, is, is unparalleled here in Australia. Um, when going to play for the Newcastle Falcons uh, in 1986, how do you find adjusting um, to different teams and different cultures and different environments? That's a great question. And I said this, I think, uh, to uh, Body and uh, Brad Rosen on their podcast that, you know, I didn't never, I, I never exclusively made decisions to go to another team purely on money. You know, yeah. Hobart, to go to Hobart, money was a big factor. It wasn't the only factor, but it was a bigger factor than the other mm -hmm. decisions. And to go to Newcastle was uh, lifestyle, mm -hmm. pure and simple lifestyle, uh, the chance to develop my game um, mm -hmm. and, you know, to be on a quality team. We had, we had, you know, good quality teams um, my years there and played with, you know, great, great Australian players, great American players, you know, Michael Johnson, one of the greatest mm -hmm. pure shooters that Australia has ever known. You know, Sean Dennis, who's coaching over in Asia and, you know, will, will eventually get a, a coaching job in the NBL. Great point guard, great leader. Um, Jerry Everett, one of the great, probably one of the most purely talented imports to ever play in Australia. And I would put his talent as a 6'5 guard up against any import that's come to Australia in the last wow. five years. Just a phenomenal <laughs> athlete, phenomenal score. You know, we can see why the Dallas Mavericks drafted him. Um, mm -hmm. Just, just you know, to play with him was amazing, amazing talent. Big Derek Polk, um, you know, Floma Globetrotter, our big man. So that was, a, we had a great nucleus there. And I would have loved on many ways for that team to stay together. We got bought by Basil Sellers and the Sellers, the, the Sellers group, um, who I think eventually bought the Sydney Swans as well from Jeffrey Edelson. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were just some changes and changes in coaches and things. And, and, and as, you, as you kind of, you know, um, are, are privy to as, a, as an athlete. And the mm -hmm. NBA was also on the verge of, on the cusp, of just becoming professional. I still mm -hmm. worked in Newcastle too when I played for the Falcons. I was a builder's laborer on the mm -hmm. Garden City Shopping Center in Newcastle. And wow. so, uh, yeah, that was, talk about hard yakka. That was mm -hmm. incredible. Like I'd have to be on site at 7.15 sharp. Couldn't be any mm -hmm. later. If I was, my pay would get docked. Mm -hmm. These guys came down from Queensland, this, this, this construction group to build this big shopping center in Newcastle. Mm -hmm. And I, and I took the job as a laborer. So, you know, they're on site by seven, five days a week, uh, work till three, have oh. a little bit of a break, come home, either train at Broadmeadows just playing basketball, or I would go to Broadmeadows. And then after maybe an hour and a half of training, I'd go to the Nautilus Center in Newcastle and do weights three wow. times a week and, <laughs> then play, and then play the games on the weekend. So I was... Mm -hmm. Newcastle is kind of like the cusp of me merging into, rolling into my physical prime, mm -hmm. you know, just getting fitter and 
you know, learning about the power of the mind and how I could apply that to basketball and how I could apply things like visualization to the power of basketball. Mm -hmm. um, Newcastle, Newcastle was a big shift for me psychologically and emotionally, mm -hmm. uh, just as a person, as well as a player. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I've got fun, fun memories of, of, of Newcastle and Redhead Beach. Oh my God, what a beach. One of the most beautiful beaches in the world. Mm -hmm. um, now in 1988, uh, you were selected in the NBL All-Star team in this season. What did it mean to you to be recognized for, you know, the work you put in um, throughout the regular season? And then, like you mentioned before, doing the hard yards, you know, you have to be on a work site at 7.15, you finish at three, you have a break, um, you go train and then after training, you even go out and do weights. Right. I can remember coming home, uh, having a cup of tea. I think I was, I was writing letters or something. And I'd gotten the information that, you know, you'd made the all-star team and such. Mm -hmm. And then I got, um, I started, I think I was writing letters. That's right. I was writing letters back home to mm -hmm. um, my nephew and my mom and different people, not about making the all-star team, just letters mm -hmm. in general. And then it just dawned on me. It was like, wow, you're going to, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be an all-star. It's like cool. That's so cool. And I just had this little <laughs> tear and, yeah. and stuff. And and that was, you know, like those those that experience was just amazing. Like I remember the pass that Carfino gave me between his legs, and I went up and dunked it. And mm -hmm. it was so exciting. And um, just the whole atmosphere, just the like, just the 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 knowledge that basketball was starting to become. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean what it could yeah. become it was like that it was right on the verge that 88 season was like almost a tipping point you know mm -hmm. and that 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 um Aussie all-star game was a phenomenal you know, all these great players Aussie players you know, Shane Hill yeah and Daryl Pierce all these great Aussie players you know selected to play as well and um Dave Simmons Ben Simmons' dad mm. you know I didn't dunk on him in the all-star game I think he was on my <laughs> team but yes. I certainly dunked, I definitely smashed one and crushed one on him in Hobart. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> oh for sure. And uh, two years ago, maybe maybe about two years ago, we had a joke about it. So Ben Ben had come up to play junior basketball for Victoria mm -hmm. up to um, up in Castle Hill. I think it was a Hornsby up or somewhere in North of Sydney. Mm -hmm. Sam had come over for the, my son Sam had come over from the South Australian team and they were playing together. And I think Dave was there and I said, Mm -hmm. Something about, you know, you remember the dunk I got on you in Hobart and he's like, Mac, yeah, don't, don't remind me. <laughs> and, Mark, and, I, and I get Mark Brackey on Facebook and Mark would be like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I got to get to this. So when I go down to Tassie, I've got to find the footage from the ABC mm -hmm. of that dunk so I can get it wallpapered yeah. over, you know, every device I've got and send one to the you know send one to the 76ers mm -hmm. via um you know via david simmons and uh yeah that was that was fantastic but yeah that whole all-star experience was just you know channel seven covered it it was just on the verge of the nba becoming you know the possibilities mm -hmm. of what larry and and larry kesselman and his team have, have, have brought it to what it is now um not in 89 um you went to the hobart devils like you mentioned before um, how did you make that decision um, alongside that factor of money um, to go down and play um, in Hobart? Wow. Okay. Again, uh, lifestyle. 
Mm -hmm. Lifestyle money had a, a, a part to play in it, but it was still predominantly a lifestyle thing. Um, and then also um, just, you know, coming from Newcastle, there were changes, you know, afoot in management and things mm -hmm. and kind of an uncertainty there. And, and Hobart just seemed fresh, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and for many way, in many ways. And um, yeah, it was just, I just, I think because I, I've said this to um, Brad and, and Vardy that, you know, I, I'd gone to summer school, summer camp, I should say, when mm -hmm. I was in San Francisco up in Northern California for like four summers in a row. Yeah. So learning how to, learning how to canoe, learning how to swim properly, learning how to um, pitch a tent, you know, all these, all these lifestyle, wildlife, you know, skills and stuff mm -hmm. kind of lent me, I had an affinity for that kind of um, environment. So Tassie was mm -hmm. a perfect fit in terms of um, me going down there and just, you know, a new situation, new environment, fresh new environment um, was very, very attractive for me. So yeah, again, a big psychological shift to go from Newcastle mm -hmm. uh, to Tassie in many ways. So um, a lot of the person, a lot of personal growth uh, in terms of going to Tassie, um, in terms of personal growth on the court, and mm -hmm. off the court too. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you think you, like, because with other clubs and other teams and organisations that you've been out at, at over your career, uh, yep. you've been there for sort of one or two years, um, I think maybe three years at Newcastle, and then you went from yep. 89 until I think it was 94 or 95 at the Hobart Devils. What was the reason for, um, or like, was there culture and, the um, overall um, team building and things like that, the organization, um, really great. All of those. So the, the team organization, the lifestyle, the environment, just I just grew to have a, a strong affinity with Tassie. And when, when I got to the end of my career and the team kind of, you know, financially wasn't as strong as, as mm -hmm. what a lot of people believed, um, to go in and still play and play locally and, and, and mm -hmm. just kind of endure myself to the community was fantastic for me. And I look back on it now and I look at what Sam's doing now with the Jack Jumpers. And I think back, wow, like, so 26 years, he turned 26 yesterday, mm -hmm. so 26, 27 years. I was kind of on the verge of moving into different things, you know, so mm -hmm. coming back out of playing with the devils, you know, to do some work on the ABC and to do some work in radio and, and, and to move out and do some other things was, was fantastic. So Tassie was a, and continues in many ways to be uh, an area of growth for me um, in terms of just as a person. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it's, it's kind of like, a, it's, got a, it's got a spiritual hold on me in a lot of ways. Um, now, another, after another three times um, being an NBL All-Star, how do you reflect on all those All-Star experiences? Um, you know, I look at it and go, I think the older I get, the more I'd say, look, mm -hmm. I'd trade them all in for one championship. I'd yeah. trade them all in. I'd trade all those 7,600, whatever points it was for a championship. Mm -hmm. You know, because then you you realize, not to say that I didn't like my, I, mean, I, I had great fun. I had a fabulous career. I had a very stellar mm -hmm. career. You know, I had a career beyond what I could ever imagine that I could ever do in, in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, and I always knew after the first few years that I was going to make, you know, Australia home in, in one mm -hmm. way, or, you know, one way or another in some capacity. So, um, yeah, it was just, 
just the growth, the growth to be able to keep growing um, and to see basketball as, it, as it's grown from the early 80s to the mid 80s to the early 90s and then you know to the later later 90s where it kind of had maybe a lull in terms of its popularity and things and then mm -hmm. to see Larry and his crew come back in and 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 you know revitalize and, and reprofessionalize the league in many ways has been phenomenal um so yeah that's 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 been it's it's been a it's been fantastic in that sense in terms of all-star selections, they were great. You know, they were fabulous. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the championships. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'd trade them all in for one chip. I'd be like, yeah, just give me one chip. I can buy, I'll flip you. I'll flip you four all-star appearances for one championship. <laughs> Where are my signs? Like, yeah. right here, there you go. Give me those, give me those all-star selections, yeah. buddy. Here's your ring. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's about the chips, like, you know, because it's what connects you deeply with other players. You know, it's those, mm -hmm. it's those connections. And I had great memories with all the guys I've played against and played with, mm -hmm. and, you know, from, from Adelaide to Newcastle to Geelong to, to, to Tassie. Um, and it's great. You see players that you played against and, and you know, you reminisce and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But to know that you've gone through that journey, that season, all that hard work, all that preseason hard work, and then to get the ultimate prize at the end is priceless. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, now you've you've sort of. Oh no, sorry. How did you make the <coughs> the decision? Sorry to retire from the NBL. Just got too old. Got too old, and, and I knew that you know, um, you know, my body wasn't the same. Um, <clears throat> also knew that I wanted to do other things. You know, I knew eventually I would come back to Sydney, knew that I wanted to do more acting, mm -hmm. uh, knew that I wanted to do different production work in terms of things that revolve around acting. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I knew that eventually I would, I would come back to Sydney and pursue that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was, mm -hmm. it was an easy fit in, the many, in many ways. And then also too, the, the club in Hobart going through what it was going through financially and just mm -hmm. change of personnel and coaches mm -hmm. and different, different, you know, um, directions the club yeah. wanted to go in. All that factored in. Yeah, it was like a, it's like a beautiful, perfect storm. And I look back on it now and I think it was perfect because I then met my partner in Tassie. We moved to Sydney. Mm -hmm. And then within a year or two, I get an agent. Well, actually, no, I get, I go on a, a dance FM station as an announcer. And then after about four or five months of that, I get an agent mm -hmm. and then I start doing theater productions and getting movie roles and stuff like that. So it was fantastic. Now you've appeared uh, in films such as Son of the Mask, Superman Returns, yep. uh, and the Sapphires and appeared in the rock musical, The Island of Dr. Moron. Yep. How do you find being uh, on stage and being in films? Wow. So I just got a script sent to me from a good friend of mine who actually was on the radio station that I was on way, way back in the early 2000s, was it before the Olympics? I think it was the year after mm -hmm. Olympics, so it was about 2001. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'm getting scripts all the time and this script is fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. And I love acting. I've always acted. Uh, the first play that I did was uh, the John Steinbeck play of Mice and Men. I played mm -hmm. crooks in that um, and I was away and I just loved 
performance. See, I've always looked at sport, and I've had this conversation with a lot of guys, ex-NBO players and just ex-sports people. I've always looked at sport as art, as performance mm -hmm. art. Um, now, obviously, there's a competitive nature of it. There's a competitive win-loss uh, bottom line within sport that you don't have in art and yeah. stuff. But you do in a certain way because you're relying on the reaction of the fans, the reaction of the, the immediacy of the people on stage who are watching you. And so do a play on, you know, when I did Fetston at the Opera House, mm -hmm. um, I was so honored to be able to do that because um, one of my idols was Paul Robeson, the great African-American singer and actor that goes way, 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 way back. And so mm -hmm. he sung, um, he sung for the, um, the builders, the people who were building um, you know, the Harbor Bridge sung on the steps of the Opera House um, mm -hmm. and stuff. So that was, that brought a tear to my eye too, to be able to perform eight shows a week um, at the Opera House in a major production with a major role um, mm -hmm. with great, fantastic Australian actors um, was, was fantastic. I knew that I was in, you know, rare company. Um, so the stage production stuff has been amazing. Um, mm -hmm. The movie roles have been fantastic and they continue mm -hmm. as I did Risen last year, which was Australian production, sci-fi production. I played a newsreader, a CNN newsreader. Mm -hmm. And then I did um, Reckoning uh, about the same time last year, just before lockdown, which is on Netflix now. I think it's episode mm -hmm. nine um, ah. with Aiden Young, another Australian actor who's based mm -hmm. in LA. Uh, and that was fantastic. Great role, you know, great. Um, great experience so every time I'm able to get in front of a camera and create a character like it's just it's just gravy it's just gold I love it it's mm -hmm. just it's a beautiful a beautiful process now I've watched all uh, the sapphires a couple of times now and actually watched it in class it was last Friday on the last day of school we finished watching it and I was sort of listening and watching it pretty intently and um when I saw you I was like not going to be made. So I'm like, I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm like, this is, I'm like, look, I'm like, it's Wayne McDaniel. I was singing to Jessica Malboy yeah. on set. I was singing the Sam Cooke song, You Send Me. Mm -hmm. I was singing it to her and she kept saying, go on, go on. I was like, no, we got to go on set. We got to go back on set. Like, oh, <laughs> that was a great experience. Great mm -hmm. experience. Remember, uh, I'll never forget it. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think and feel, um, I think when you watch your son, uh, Sam McDaniel, win a championship uh, with Melbourne United and now play for the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. Again, emotional tears from many on many levels. The first level is the fact that I went down to Melbourne and flew down and I had to turn back and come home because mm -hmm. I didn't realize I was living in a hot spot. So oh. I couldn't see. I flew down on the day of the grand final, the day that they won the chip. Mm -hmm. And I had to fly back to Sydney because I was in a hot spot. And oh. uh, put me on, yeah, they put me on a plane to go back to Sydney. So oh. I was devastated. So then that was a, that was a, a devastating moment. I had a tear in my eyes as we mm -hmm. flew back, flew back up to Sydney and, and then watched Sam get the chip um, was beautiful. Uh, but to see him evolve and grow as a player, it's fantastic. You know, mm -hmm. like to see and to, for him to be a completely diametrically opposed type of mm -hmm. player than I was you know I was a pure scorer he's a mm -hmm. he's a phenomenal on-ball defender 
you know, an elite, an elite defender in the league mm. uh, who's evolving his game into more scoring, more all-around game as a scorer. Uh, it's just fantastic to watch. And so I can't wait to get down uh, to see some of their home games. Um, so do you think he's, off, well, off, from my perspective, he's taking on um, such a great leadership um, position in this Tasmania Jack Jumpers um, yep. environment alongside Clint Steinle? Mm-hmm. I think I think he does. I think he ha he has that capacity, and mm -hmm. I think he's naturally going to evolve into that, being a more vocal player, a more mm -hmm. vocal leader. Um, uh, there was a play I watched the game last night, and I was like, there was a play in the fourth quarter where I think uh, Big Daniel Johnson lost the ball. Sam picked it up, mm -hmm. created the fast break, gave it to um, Jack McVeigh. He went into the post, yeah. put up a shot, and there were three. Adelaide players in the paint and Sam was spotted up on the weak side at the mm. three-point line and I was screaming at the top of my lungs reverse the ball yeah. <laughs> and he shot it and it was just errant and there was no yeah. jack jumper even in the I remember that and I think I think McVeigh missed that one too and he DJ got the it. rebound yeah he missed it DJ got the rebound and Sam was all mm. alone at the three-point line with his feet set ready to receive it and deliver mm. and I was just screaming to Jack like yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it's beautiful. Like, it's beautiful. And as I said in the opening, you know, they're a young team evolving, learning to trust each other. Mm -hmm. um, and the beautiful thing is that they're all playing hard and mm -hmm. they're all have a, they, they, they seem to generally have a good camaraderie amongst each other, which is fantastic. Um, what's your best advice uh, to anyone who wants uh, to be a professional basketballer and be pro uh, successful like yourself? Wow. You're such a good podcaster, man. You're <laughs> Thanks. Good. You're good. You need to go viral. You need to go global, man, because you're good. Oh, thank um, you. I would say love what you do. Use your mind, not just your body. So train hard, train smart, but use your mind. Use the capacity of your imagination to mm -hmm. visualize where you want to be. And, you know, a lot of people who aren't athletes or who aren't don't consider themselves as quote unquote creative people mm -hmm. kind of look at it and go visualization. Come on. Yes. Woo woo, hairy fairy stuff. I don't want to believe in that stuff. Hard work, man. You get in, you do it. Yes, you do it. You do both. You mm -hmm. go in and you do the hard work and you put in the hours, but then you also put in the hours up here to develop mm -hmm. and nurture your mental capacity to see yourself as the best version of who you can be as a player in terms of developing and nurturing your skills and, and all that. So I would say, love what you do. You have to love, like Steve Jobs said, you have to love what you do. Life mm -hmm. is short. So to love what you do, irrespective of the money you earn from it, love what you do, provide service, mm -hmm. right? So if you're, if you want to be a, a good player, then see yourself not just as a certain player, but as a player. I'll never forget when they interviewed Charles Barkley and they were like, so what do you see yourself like as a power forward, a small forward? Uh, mm -hmm. And he said, no, I see myself as a player, a basketball player. <laughs> yeah. and that's a, that's the, the way we have to see it. Like you have to have that growth mindset and that growth mindset is an open way of seeing yourself and your possibilities and your potential, you know, not mm -hmm. to close yourself off and go, oh, I am this and just stay in that lane and never have the courage to go out of that lane to create another lane for yourself. So, uh, Love what you do, work hard on the physical, but work even harder on the mental.
All right. Thanks, Wayne, for coming on the podcast today and putting aside, you know, 50 minutes or so of your time to come and have a chat. It's been an absolute honor to have you on. You're a legend, man. You're going to have your own media empire one day. Oh, thank you. It's greatly appreciated. <laughs> no worries, buddy. Take care. You too. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sporting Max. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. And be sure to follow our socials. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. This is The Voice of Melbourne, and we'll see you back here real soon for another episode of Sporting Max.